We are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans in the South. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What we're seeing is a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not a drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. And part of dignity is about rights and justice and freedom. And one of the things that we Americans treasure, perhaps more than anything else, is freedom of speech. And the First Amendment is there not to protect inoffensive speech. It's there to protect speech that is not popular. So we're going to talk about freedom of speech and rights and justice. This has to do with oh, a struggle that's gone on over a hundred years, the struggle for rights and justice for uh, people in the area now known as Israel and the occupied territories. It's gone on since, uh, boy, well over a hundred years. Since the Western powers, Britain and France in particular, hovered like vultures over the dying carcass of the Ottoman Empire. After the end of the First World War, France largely took what is now Syria. Britain took Palestine and what is now Iraq. And as everyone knows, after the Nazi Holocaust of Jews in Europe, and in 1948, the world sanctioned and the UN recognized a home for the Jews in Palestine. That's what it was called, a home for the Jews in Palestine. I believe it is fair to say that American support for the Jewish state has been crucial to its survival throughout these many years and numerous challenges and attacks. And as a Jew myself, my parents' generation uh, were extremely supportive of Israel. One couldn't really criticize Israel. It seems that as we Jewish Americans assimilated and dropped many of the traditions which had defined our identities as Jews, our commitment to the state of Israel took the place of many of those old rituals. Throughout the 50s and 60s, through the pride of the stunning victory over the Arab nations which attacked Israel in June of 1967, now known as the Six-Day War, unwavering and totally uncritical support for Israel became universally accepted and expected. As a result of that war, Israel occupied large territories, including Egypt's entire Sinai Peninsula and Syria's Golan Heights and the West Bank and Gaza Strip. These were to be buffers of defense, holding out the possibility that they could be traded for peace agreements. Egypt recognized Israel's right to exist and regained Sinai, but the other Arab nations did not so recognize the right of Israel to exist, and Israel has occupied those territories ever since. All this is, of course, pretty well known. What is less well known are things like what life is like in the occupied territories and the truly unique power the Israel lobby has over the American Congress. For decades, it seems it was unthinkable to even dare to criticize Israel in America. But with peace and justice remaining so elusive for so many years, that has begun to change. Perhaps 
the Israel of the 21st century is just not quite the same as that of our parents' dreams and hopes for a Jewish homeland. Victims of terrible oppression ourselves, who would ever think Israel might itself become seen as an oppressor? Well, as a regular listener of Keeping Democracy Alive, you're probably aware of something called BDS, Boycott, Sanctions, and Divestment. A lot of Americans are not. The movement has just celebrated its 12th anniversary. And here with us to talk about what it is, what it has accomplished, and what challenges and opportunities remain, I'm pleased to have with us Anna Baltzer, Director of Organizing and Advocacy with the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights. Thanks for being with us, Anna. So glad to be here. Well, the organization U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights is a coalition of more than 300 organizations working for freedom and justice and equality by ending all U.S. institutional support for Israel's occupation and apartheid regime. Her work is focused on supporting boycott, divestment, and sanctions campaigns, and she's author of the book Witness in Palestine. Anna Baltzer is an award-winning lecturer, author, and activist for Palestinian rights. Let's talk about the origins of BDS. What happened in early July 2005 that gelled into boycott, divestment, and sanctions? Sure, sure. Let me um, actually contextualize that within some of the pieces that you brought up in your introduction. Um, 2017 is actually a very interesting year because it marks quite a few significant anniversaries um, showing sort of the unfolding of um, of the Zionist project um, leading up to, you know, where we are today. So actually, as you were saying, you know, over 100 years ago, and by the way, um, I think you implied this, but just to be very clear, the common perception of this going back, uh, you know, thousands of years is, is untrue, actually. Oh, good point. Um, the the yeah. sort of Zionist dream for a Jewish homeland or Jewish state um, in, uh, in Palestine, in historic Palestine, goes back to the sort of late um, 19th century, um, and in a uh, hundred years ago this year um, is is the um, was the Balfour Declaration um, in which the um, the Zionist movement gained uh, European support in the United Kingdom, um, which really galvanized the movement and and set it into motion. Um, Seventy years ago this year, um, in in late November, marked the partition of Palestine, um, the partition recommendation by the United Nations. Um, uh, as as Britain actually withdrew from the area, um, and that really set into motion um, the basically the ethnic cleansing of mm-hmm. Palestine. What what became known as the War of Independence for Israel, but as the Nakba for Palestinians, um, the, the catastrophe in yes. Arabic, um, in which uh, more than 500 Palestinian villages were destroyed, um, more than 750,000 Palestinians displaced, many of them killed, many forced into the what became the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and surrounding countries, and the majority of Palestinians still live in exile. Fifty years ago this year um, marks the beginning of Israel's 1967 occupation of uh, basically all remaining uh, Palestinian lands in historic Palestine, um, uh, the West Bank and Gaza. And then 10 years ago marks, or uh, 
this year marks the 10th anniversary of sort of the, the solidifying of Israel's blockade of the Gaza Strip. So um, this is a very interesting year to be doing this, this interview. And I think what these anniversaries show is, is sort of some context for viewing the occupation that, that I'll be describing, um, I think, today and, and the, the resistance to, to, uh, to Israel's um, denial of Palestinian rights, um, that uh, maybe I disagree a little bit with your introduction, um, that, that what's happened is not sort of a, a perversion of, um, of what Israel was meant to be, but, you know, to create a Jewish state in an area where the majority of the population was not Jewish required mm-hmm. the, the ethnic cleansing of those P- Palestinians, many of whom were Christian or Muslim. Um, and, you know, what we see is really the continuation of that process in, you know, 70 years ago, 50 years ago, 10 years ago, and today. Um, and, you know, you, you can't have a Jewish state with a non-Jewish majority. Um, and so, you know, really, uh, it's not sort of a, a departure, I think, from the Israel um, that, that existed, you know, when my parents and grandparents, you know, lauded it. Um, but really, it's, it's just simply different from what they maybe imagined it to be. Um, yeah, and really, sort of, Israel being maintained as a Jewish state requires the perpetual denial of Palestinian rights. And that's why I think it's important for us to really examine and interrogate what it means to have a Jewish state in a land where the majority of the indigenous population um, of that land is not Jewish. Well, and uh, I understand before uh, the Zionist uh, movement uh, began, there were uh, the, the Palestine area within the Ottoman Empire. There were people of all different faiths living yes, more yeah. or less together. And I wonder how many, I, I wondered this before, the idea of, of, a, of a Jewish state. Uh, I understand, uh, and may, I may be wrong about this, I don't know a lot about Iran, but there uh, a religious state. What else? What other religious-dominated states are there? I don't really know of very many. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually would might even argue that Israel's unique in the sense that I think Iran is the state of the Iranian people. Um, you know, of its citizens. You right, know, the, right. the United States is the state of its citizens. Um, uh-huh. France is the state of. French citizens, but Israel is not the state of its citizens. It's the state of the Jewish people. Hmm. So it's the state of a whole bunch of people who are not its citizens, like myself, a Jewish American living Mm -hmm. in the U.S., a very comfortable life. It's it's my state. It somehow belongs to me, according to Mm -hmm. Israel. Mm -hmm. And it's not a state. So it's the state of a whole bunch of people um, who are not Israeli, and it's not the state of a whole bunch of people who are Israeli citizens. Mm -hmm. So about a fifth of the Israeli population is Palestinian. Um, and so, you know, what does it mean for them to be non-Jews living not in a state of its citizens, but in a Jewish state? And what that means in practice is a whole slew of, of discriminatory laws, because Israel's reason, you know, raison d'etre right. is to be a Jewish state. And, right. and so to, to do that requires sort of the perpetual denial of, of those people's rights. Now, they can become citizens, yes? Uh, well, I mean, they, Palestinians can't necessarily become citizens, but there are Palestinians who remained uh, during the Nakba, during that, that war that I was describing right. in 1948, and they in- eventually did become citizens. There have been efforts, uh, you know, 
since that time to strip Palestinians of citizenship. Um, you know, whereas a, a, a Jewish Israeli who marries somebody from abroad can bring their spouse over to, to you know, to live with them. Palestinians who, let's say, marry another Palestinian living in the West Bank cannot bring um, their their spouse over. They have to go over to the West Bank, and this makes sense if you understand that that Israel's purpose is to you know have the the largest number of Jews and the fewest number of non-Jewish Palestinians. Right, right. And there's been concern expressed about the growing Palestinian population by uh, Zionists, for sure. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. It's a heavy lift, believe me. Our guest today is Anna Anna Balzer, Balzer, rather, uh, with the uh, U.S. Campaign for uh, Palestinian Rights. And we're talking about uh, what is the 12th anniversary of uh, boycott, divest, and sanctions. What, what are the goals of BDS? What would you consider a victory? And what are some of the victories you've ex- the organization has experienced in the last 12 years in America and in the world? The, the earliest that I know about is the uh, uh, UCC, United Church of Christ. So what, are, what is a victory and what have some of them been in the past 12 years that, that you're celebrating? Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting, and this is the main focus of my work because I see it as one of the most, if not the most, uh, effective means of of applying pressure on on Israel to change its apartheid regime. Um, the the Palestinian call for boycott, divestment, and sanctions was issued in 2005, so 12 years ago, as you said, by a very broad coalition of Palestinian civil society organizations representing Palestinians not only in the West Bank and Gaza, but Palestinian cities citizens of Israel, um, who are often called 48 Palestinians, Um, Palestinians in exile, the refugee population I talked about that now numbers more than 7 million. Um, And they came together uh, to to basically make a call to the international community um, to end their complicity with Israel's regime, understanding that Israel's um, apartheid regime could not sustain itself without the the international support it receives you know most of all from the united states in the uh, billions of um of economic and military aid that we provide to israel to actually oftentimes purchase weapons then from us corporations mm-hmm. um but also and, and the diplomatic support we offer in the united nations by vetoing uh, resolution after resolution calling on israel to to end its discrimination um so calling on the international community to Im- impose boycotts, divestment, and sanctions on uh, Israel and other complicit institutions, for example, U.S. corporations um, involved in Israel's uh, occupation and, and apartheid system. Um, and it's based on a similar, um, you know, the, those similar tactics being used very effectively to pressure South Africa to end South African South Africans' apartheid regime. Um, and, you know, it's we see... Uh, we see the effectiveness actually in in just how much it, it, it so much just how many wins we're seeing and and just how much it's uh sort of scaring israel and and, and zionist supporters of it um you asked about the goals so um yeah, the goals are very clear um it's you know the tagline is freedom justice and equality for the palestinian people what that means is um freedom freedom from occupation the 1967 occupation of the west bank in gaza which is a brutal uh military occupation that that denies you know the full spectrum of palestinian rights freedom of movement freedom to to um 
you know, home demolitions, uh, extrajudicial, extrajudicial assassinations, torture, mass imprisonment, racial profiling, really, you know, you name it. Um, so freedom from, from occupation, uh, equality for Palestinian citizens of Israel, so that, that, that Israel, you know, no longer discriminate against uh, Jewish citizens, um, and in essence, really challenging the idea of a, of a state that is only of, of Jews, um, and justice, justice for the refugees who, who live in exile, the majority of Palestinians. Mm. Um, so it's really a rights-based call, and, um, and we've seen tremendous victories. You know, I, th- I think, uh, you know, not too long ago, um, BDS was a very effective way of, of educating people about um, the issue. Uh, so, you know, many times it was sort of we had symbolic victories, and, and mostly, you know, these campaigns served to really localize the issue. You know, we might think, mm. Uh, you know, what's happening is, is far away from us, even though, right. of course, we're very complicit as, as if we're U.S. taxpayers. Um, uh, but, you know, to, to have a campaign in your church or in your, uh, in your university to, let's say, uh, end contracts with or, or divest from corporations, oftentimes U.S. corporations involved in Israel's occupation, like Caterpillar, Hewlett-Packard, Motorola, mm-hmm. um, was a way of, of showing the way that we are complicit and, and really bringing that message back. And it, it's great at getting media. It's great at, at, at really forcing people to see where they stand. But today, we're not talking about symbolic victories. We're talking about significant, significant victories that are actually forcing corporations to end contracts um, af- uh, with, with Israel after losing often billions of dollars in, in contracts um, following BDS campaigns. Um, the BDS campaigns oftentimes are on campuses. We have um, dozens of, I think more than 35 at this point, university um, student uh, governments that have passed resolutions calling on their universities to divest from Israel's occupation. And we know that students are often on the front lines of, of these uh, causes. Uh, churches, as you mentioned, the United Church of Christ, it's actually, the UCC is actually one of lots and lots of churches. I mean, just two years ago, uh, sorry, three years ago, the Presbyterian Church of the U.S. Um, voted to divest from, uh, from Israel's occupation, and at the time, that was the first one. It was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And today, you know, we have the Presbyterians, the United Church of Christ, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the, United, the Unitarian Universalists, the Alliance of Baptists, Quakers have divested. The Mennonites just days ago uh, voted to, div- to, to divest, really, to, to impose an investment screen that screens out not just a few select companies, but all companies that are involved in Israel's occupation. Um, so we really see the, the uh, momentum of BDS and, um, and, you know, just how effective it's become. And actually, if you want to see some of the international victories, you can go to the BDS movement um, the website, which is bdsmovement.net, and you can see a lot of those. Um, if you want to see U.S. victories, we are up to 200 U.S. victories, you know, in our country alone, and we have those listed at our website for U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights, the acronym USCPR.org, and then US, slash U.S. BDS victories, and you will not believe just how many there are. Well, it it is fascinating how uh, effective it it 
Well, sort of suddenly seems to be the reaction uh, against BDS obviously indicates how successful it is. So there's there's two aspects of it. And, and to me, I am pretty hardcore First Amendment. You know, I mean, hate speech is, is one thing, and that's sort of, you know, a challenging uh, definition. But free speech is extremely important. I mean, I, I free the, the First Amendment is there to protect what is generally seen to be uh, out of the mainstream. It's not there to protect easy, safe speech. It's there to, to protect speech, which some see as, as offensive. So there's two aspects of it. And I want to talk about one you mentioned, that the campus harassment uh, uh, that over the last year or so is Israel advocacy organizations have consistently uh, pressured, uh, say, for example, the uh, University of California at Irvine to crack down on Palestine activism. What is going on on campuses? And, mm-hmm. you know, the the uh, the right wing keeps claiming that uh, uh, political correctness is is stifling free speech. Uh, it's my sense is that, uh, you know, when I was growing up uh, and when I was in college, you know, free speech was celebrated. It was, you know, something that that, you know, is it, great to be an American to have this free speech. What is going on on the campuses first? And then we can talk about what's going on in Congress, which is really interesting. Right, right. Yeah, well, I, I wish I had as much faith in American free speech as you do. I mean, yeah. I, I think oftentimes throughout his, uh, this is not an anomaly, the way that free speech is being yeah, challenged for Palestinian yeah. rights advocacy, which we'll talk about. Um, but really, free speech has, uh, the, the idea of free speech has often been used, you know, by elite and uh, the ruling elite um, institutions and the ruling class to mm-hmm. sort of uh, let's say, exceptionalize certain topics while cracking down on others. Yes. And of course, you know, who has free speech is is really a question that I think uh, we, we should look at. Um, but yes, I mean, it, what we see today is is really the the fact that BDS and and Palestinian rights advocacy as as Israel's image deteriorates, especially or including in the United States, is that because this this uh, sort of war of ideas or this the discourse and the narrative cannot be um, let's say won by by Israel's supporters in Israel in the court of opinion um, that that Israel and its uh, advocates are resorting to repression and you know that repression oftentimes is targeting students I mean we're talking about students who are you know following in a long line of uh, of student yes. advocacy. Yes. Uh, you know, think of the Vietnam War, think of Absolutely. the uh, anti-apartheid movement uh, challenging South Africa's regime, um, you know, doing, continuing that, that proud tradition um, and are being demonized, are being um, uh, oftentimes, um, you know, with libelous uh, accusations um, being uh, uh, really targeted. And it's uh, oftentimes these are Palestinians uh, living in exile, often they're Muslims, often they're women. And so we see, you know, the way that it fits in with with uh, Islamophobia, patriarchy, other forms of oppression in this country, um, and you know it's it's awful. And we have to remind ourselves that the reason that that Israel's um, supporters are resorting to this top down of this 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 form of of top down draconian repression 
and lawfare oftentimes, um, is because BDS has become so effective, right. because BDS has become a major strategic threat to Israel and its regime. So, so we can, you know, if we find a silver lining, really look at how effective we've become that they're turning to this type of tactic and really continue proactively campaigns. And I'd like to actually mention a, a couple campaigns that are ongoing because I think it is you know, in light of this repression, important for people to get involved in BDS. And the biggest one right now that we're working on is sure. the campaign to boycott Hewlett-Packard, which is really the technology of Israeli apartheid. And people can, can contact me at, at you know, uscpr.org to, to find out more about that or look at our website. Um, in addition to campus campaigns, church campaigns, you know, if you're listening and you're part of these institutions, it's a great way to bring this issue to your to your uh, institution and to try to pass resolutions um, to in support of BDS. What about the? Uh, I've heard uh, complaints by uh, pro-Zionist uh, people that. Uh, Zionist organizations on campus are repressed as well, that they're not acceptable. What do you know about that? I mean, you know, I, I believe in free speech for, you know, pretty much everybody. What what, what do you know? Yeah, well, you know, the, the aims of, of, of BDS are really freedom, justice, and equality. And I think the fact that, 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 you know, many Zionist students consider it threatening to advocate for freedom, justice, and equality is not a form of their rights being denied. Um, I mean, what does it mean for a student to say, you know, really, really scares me and makes me uncomfortable to talk about ending corporate complicity in the denial of Palestinian rights? Um, you know, it's really a kind of twisted, I think, and cynical and oftentimes calculated. I mean, I'm sure there's some genuine emotion involved in many cases. I don't want to dismiss that. But oftentimes it's actually a calculated tactic to shut down the free speech of, of, of Palestinian rights activists by using this this um, this really, uh, you know, sort of uh, co-opting the, the language of oppressed communities who are advocating for their rights. Uh-huh. That, that makes a lot of sense. Again, if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. Our show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest is Anna Baltzer, uh, Director of Organizing and Advocacy with the uh, U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights. And we're talking about uh, the 12-year anniversary of the start of BDS, Boycott, uh, Divest, and Sanctions. Now, Hamas was victorious in the most recent election in Gaza. Are they not terrorists who seek the destruction of Israel and you know by supporting boycott divest and sanctions are you not supporting uh, the uh, rocket attacks on Israel from groups like Hamas uh, that come from the West Bank so you know when we talk about terrorism we we see another example of exceptional uh, exceptionalizing so um, you know if we if we look at the the definition of terrorism which I don't have in front of me but you can oh, look sure. up um, the US actually government has its has a definition um, in terms of uh, you know violence against a civilian population with the goal of um, scaring and yeah. uh, forcing that that population into submission um, the US is 
perhaps the most mm-hmm. guilty of this around the world. So it really, there's sort of an irony yeah. of, um, you know, focusing on, on one group that, that might be committing. And, uh, you know, Hamas has committed international crime, crimes uh, of international law in, in terms of targeting civilians. Um, I will say that, that, that uh, um, occupied populations um, do actually have a right to resist. Um, and, you know, oftentimes there is a conflation between internationally protected forms of resistance. Um, for example, uh, fighting an army that is occupying your land, um, that is actually protected. So we, you know, we tend to uh, paint with a, with a broad brush any form of resistance, legitimate resistance of, of oppressed peoples because of the really the, the racism and the, um, you know, exceptionalizing uh, of U.S. violence um, contrast, in contrast to, to oppressed people actually fighting for their right to survive and for their dignity. Um, you know, the, the focus on, on Hamas is what I call a red herring. You know, Israel's uh, tactics of repression and oppression um, date back way before Hamas existed, actually. Um, it's interesting to, to know the history of Hamas, that, that Israel actually supported Hamas's creation as a counter to, to Fatah, which was at the time the, the primary Palestinian political organization, um, to really sow discord, to sow division within the Palestinian community. Um, and Hamas becomes mm-hmm. this red herring to legitimize Israel's ongoing oppression of Palestinians. Now, regardless of what you think of Hamas's tactics, they do not uh, justify the broad um, uh, oppression of Palestinians, the denial of Palestinian human rights. You know, Palestinians don't have to earn their human rights with good behavior. Palestinians have human rights, period. Um, and it's it's the job of Israel and and the and the mm. rest of us to make sure that those rights are respected. Um, so you know we cannot look at Hamas's tactics without the broader context of Israeli violence. And you know if we are if if Israel were serious about uh, working for peace um, and and you know ending uh, you know the 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 violence targeting Israelis, um, first of all it wouldn't send uh, you know pay its own citizens to go move on to more and more Palestinian land and uh. doing in the West Bank. Does that make them safer? You know, it wouldn't um, put its, its Israeli, um, you know, armed forces in, uh, on Palestinian land where they, you know, where they're more vulnerable, let's say. Um, so, you know, if Israel's serious about working for peace, it needs to work for justice. It needs to, um, hmm. you know, know that, that further tightening the, 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 um, the noose around right. Palestinian necks is not going to bring Israel peace. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. And I remember, I don't know how many years ago, the uh, the war against Gaza was a fairly brief war in the summertime. Was that four or five years ago? Something like that. Maybe more. I'm not sure, but it was, it was brutal. And I remember seeing a young man, uh, a boy, like 12 years old, who hadn't been particularly political before, but his little village was uh, destroyed in that war, and now he said he'll be a, uh, a, you know, he'll wear a suicide vest, whatever. You know, he's just that angry and, you know, defending it. And, and the idea of, of terrorism, you know, it seems like there's there's high-budget terrorism that can, you know, rain down from the skies and low-budget terrorism, and that seems to be uh, less <laughs> acceptable. I mean, terrorism, war is terrorism, let's face right. it. Right. You know. Yeah, that's that's so true. I mean, you know, 
when Hamas uses rockets, it's not because they're choosing that over, you know, sophisticated weaponry to defend them. They don't have them. You know, yeah. when, when Israel invades. Um, they have they have nothing, you know, at their, their disposal to defend themselves. You know, when a Palestinian throws a rock at an Israeli tank, right. it's because that's the only weapon they have at their disposal. And, and you know, we, yeah, there's really a hypocrisy in our judging of, of certain forms of violence when the, you know, the, the broader uh, perpetrator of violence and, and, you know, worldwide domination and um, uh, denial of rights is, is our own country. And what would you say to those who, who point out that, look, Israeli children have been killed by rockets launched from the occupied territories. Don't they deserve to be free from such terror attacks? What, what, can, what can be done to, you know, protect uh, the, the children living in the border areas from attacks? Yeah, I mean, this goes back to what I was saying about, you know, if you're serious about peace, you have to, you, you have to know that, that a people who are being oppressed are going to resist. You know, if, if, I don't know, China or Russia came and, and occupied the United States and wouldn't mm-hmm. let people get to school and get to work and have the freedom of marrying and get to weddings or funerals and, and their homes were demolished uh, without reason, they couldn't build, they couldn't, um, their, their lands were taken away um, daily, we would resist. I mean, yeah. <laughs> let's be honest. So, you know, Israel knows very well that Palestinians are going to resist. And, and again, you know, if Israel's serious about, about you know, uh, ending any violence toward them, they, they know better. Um, you know, this is, a, I think, a calculated um, way of, of legitimizing its ongoing confiscation of Palestinian land to sort of focus disproportionately on deaths of Israelis. And, of course, the death of an Israeli child. I mean, I'm a mother of two small children. It's any death of a child brings tears to my eyes. Um, but you know, we see every death of an Israeli on you know in the New York Times, while Palestinians uh-huh. killed. You know, often ten times more Palestinians killed don't even get mentioned. So again, this this sort of hypocrisy. Well, and and the word apartheid was used earlier in this discussion. Would the world understood apartheid in South Africa? Clearly, pressure worked to end it. Some have have said that Israeli practices apartheid against Palestinians. Is is that not too hyperbolic? I mean, is that is it apartheid is a pretty intense word. What what do you think about its accuracy of using that word? Well, uh, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, one of the leaders of the South African anti-apartheid movement, actually thinks it's too weak. He, he um, you know, having traveled to, wow. to Palestine, said, you know, I, what I see here is goes beyond uh, South Africa's apartheid regime. Yeah. I mean, there is actually a UN definition of the crime of apartheid, and Israel fits it perfectly. Um, and uh, you know, uh, we 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 now, decades later, say, well, we saw that that South Africa was apartheid. We understood it perfectly. We, you know, we we were all against it, but we weren't all against it. You know, for decades, yeah, South for Africans sure. were fighting for the world to see what was happening to them and for the world to stand with them. And it was, you know, really only in you know in in the decade before South Africa's apartheid fall. Uh, the fall of the the regime yeah. that really people were were serious about standing with South Africans targeted by apartheid. And I think um, there was so, boycott, divestment, and sanctions at that yeah, time. Yeah, uh-huh. right, exactly. <laughs> so you know, 
when we talk about standing on the right side of history um, with the Palestinian people, we know that it takes decades uh, to 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 gain the critical mass of support to um, to end Israel's apartheid regime. We know that from history, um, and and actually BDS has has been so successful that we see really the acceleration of understanding. Um, what's happening. Um, and, you know, they say, I mean, I, I, I'm 37, so I haven't been around forever, and I, I can't speak to the fall of apartheid, but they say that when it happens, it's like a snowball, you know, that, hmm. that suddenly it's gaining more and more momentum, and then, you know, watch it go. So, um, uh-huh. you know, sta- standing with Palestinians, you know, be be one of the people who can say, you know, if I were around, I would have been marching with Martin Luther King. You know, it's easy to say that now, right. um, but now we have, a, you know, another form of, of racism and oppression, and are we willing to stand on the right side of history? And Washington is, you know, a big, big part of it. They, the, the Israeli lobby in Washington is just, I, I don't know, it's astounding to me. I don't know that much about it, but they seem exceedingly powerful. Well, I wonder if you could talk about that and uh, then will of course, lead into what they're trying to do with, with BDS. So talk about the power of the Israel lobby a, uh, a bit, if you would, please. It's very powerful. And obviously, you know, Israel's able to do what it does only with right. massive U.S. support in the yes. amount of more than $10 million a day. I mean, this is not... $10 million a day? Yeah, more than $10 million a day. Um, yeah. Yeah, wow. billions. Okay, a year. that's sort of yeah, that's a lot. Obama, Obama actually approved a ten-year plan of of forty billion dollars to Israel. So, this is, I mean, absurd <laughs> to talk about. You know, the U.S.'s love of democracy, while we uh-huh. arm and protect from diplomatic scrutiny a country that uh, that that is founded on undemocratic principles of uh, of prioritizing one population on the basis of religion and, and yeah. ethnicity while uh, discriminating systematically against another population. Not that ours, by the way, is that different. No. We were founded on ethnic cleansing. Uh, this country was built by, by black and brown people mm-hmm. uh, who still today are fighting for, for basic dignity. Um, yeah, so it's, it's massive. Um, and, and obviously, in order to to continue what it's doing, it needs that U.S. support. Um, you know, some people ask, okay, is it, you know, is it the dog wagging the tail or the tail wagging uh-huh. the dog? You know, uh-huh. does the U.S. support Israel because of this lobby or because of its own imperial interests? And I guess I would argue that, that the interests of the lobby and the interests of U.S. imperialism are really symbiotic. Um, so, you know, in order for... for, for um, for Israel to get the support it needs, it needs to, you know, lobby Congress, or it helps, certainly. Oh, yeah. But that, you know, the U.S. support for Israel, as many would call it a U.S. proxy, um, it serves U.S. interests in terms of, you know, access to to resources like oil um, and, and, and domination in that part of the world, in terms of serving U.S. corporate interests. You know, like I said, most of that money we give to Israel is, is, is earmarked to uh, come back to the U.S. Oh, in the yeah. form of weapons purchases. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We were going to segue into the uh, oh, yeah. Federal-Israel Anti-Boycott Act, I think. Well, yes, let's, let's take a look at that. And, and freedom, you know, and, and the power in Washington of, of the, uh, the Israel lobby. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at something here, a, a letter to the chair uh, of the uh, State and Foreign Operations Subcommittee in the House and the uh, other committees. 
uh, from the American Civil Liberties Union. And uh, they point out in this letter, at least 22 states have considered or adopted bills to bar the state from doing as any business with or investing in businesses or individuals who express support for the BDS movement. And it says the ACLU takes no position on either side of the debate, but they do assert that states should not be deciding with whom they do business on the basis of ideological uh, predisposition. And uh, it's it's a fascinating letter. I mean, the, the ACLU, I think, uh, is much more popular now since, uh, you know, rights have been cracked down uh, by this uh, Trump administration. And, and the letter goes on to say that they... Uh, are, are penalized solely because they choose to express their opinion because their opinion is disfavored by the political class and the states in, in question. Such a penalty flies in the face of the First Amendment's guarantee that the state should impose no law infringing the right to speak freely and to associate with those of like minds. And uh, just one more uh, thing I'd like to read here from that. Uh, this, this bill... That that I'm sure you'll talk about here uh, sends a message to Americans who care enough to engage on issues of global importance that if they dare disagree with their government, they will be penalized and placed in a lesser class with fewer opportunities. The message is an insult to our forebears and makes a mockery of the constitutional principle that Americans are free to believe as they choose. This is not about Israel and Palestine, but about whether states can treat their citizens differently based on the political uh, positions they choose to express. This is a slap uh, at the First Amendment's uh, guarantee of free speech and association. So what are they talking about here? What's going on in Washington with regard to uh, clamping down on the rights of uh, people to express support for BDS? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, this sort of excep- exceptionalizing. You know, we see, <laughs> and it's very exciting, the, the really increase in not that they don't go back, uh, you know, throughout our history, you know, think of the Montgomery bus boycott, um, for example, uh, grapes boycott. Um, but but really, the the popularization of tactics of boycott and divestment. You know, um, groups working for divestment from fossil fuels uh, or uh-huh. private prisons. Uh, groups, uh-huh. you know, boycotting Trump. You know, when the right. the Warriors and the NFL uh, Super Bowl champions refused to we- to meet with um, Donald Trump in the in the White House or meet with the White House. They're boycotting. <laughs> you know, they're True, they're point. doing what Palestinians refer to as as anti-normalization. So, so you know, uh, rather than lobbying Trump, um, really denormalizing him as even uh, you know that 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 uh, to to lobby Trump would sort of legitimize him. You know, um, so anyway, you know, boycotts are being you know delete Uber. Um, you know, boycotting Ivanka Trump's uh, uh, resellers. Sure. Um, you know, uh, people refusing to sing for for Donald Trump. You know, it's it, we all we boycott of North Carolina. Um, you know, we we see these as as uh, as as natural and a great tool for progressives to use. And yet, when it comes to Israel. Um, things are different, and it mm. absolutely is uh, an infringement on free speech. Um, and it is absolutely something we c- that shows the hypocrisy in that even groups like the ACLU, which do not take a stand on this issue, right. are saying, holy cow, this is, you know, what, what's, this is a slippery slope. You know, yeah. what happens when we can't even boycott? Um, uh, and that's part of our, our history, you know. The Montgomery bus boycott is something we laud as, a, as an incredible honestly, nonviolent tactic to yes. respond to the extreme violence 
of of the United States against brown and black people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and this particular act, I mean, there yes. have been there's so much legislation that has been introduced and in some cases passed on the local, state, and federal level. In some cases, they you know some had more teeth than others. Oftentimes, it was just sort of a statement of opposition without having real consequences. This upcoming federal Israel anti boycott act seeks to impose fines and deny government loans to corporations refusing to do business with with corporations in illegal Israeli settlements. So, you know, this is this is really uh, sort of I don't know if it if it's criminalizing, but um, punishing boycotts yeah. um, and divestment. Um, by the way, it also legitimizes settlements. I mean, you know, the U.S. Right. official policy is in opposition right. to Israeli settlements, which okay. are illegal under international law. These are you know, towns, and these are colonies that are built on Palestinian land in the West Bank and Gaza, on occupied land, by moving, you know, Israeli citizens into onto more Palestinian land to gain more control over it. So, you know, the U.S. is supposedly against these, and yet they're saying if you refuse to do business with these, then you are, you're subject to, to uh, punishment. So it, it really legitimizes Israeli settlements in addition to everything yeah. else. Um, so you know we have to we we have to fight these things, and we also have to remember that perspective. I uh, perspective I mentioned before that that this fight against BDS is because precisely because this nonviolent movement for freedom, justice, and equality has been so effective. Um, I'll say one more thing about about sort of the insults of forebears, as you mentioned. Um, you know, I, I I believe that this country was founded not on principles of of, of the rights of all people, and, right. but but on uh, you know ethnic cleansing, on massacres, on slavery, um, and again the you know these these closely uh, held and and lauded principles have always been um, reserved <laughs> for those with privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see this really as a continue, really very consistent actually with with U.S. policies, including in our own country. Um, you know, police violence, um, you know, mass incarceration, uh, the targeting of, of black and brown people, deportations. Um, these are not perversions of, right. of the U.S. This, this is a continuation. Absolutely. Yeah, it does seem to be the case. It's so mm-hmm. pervasive. So this, uh, the, the federal uh, effort, the is, uh, Israel Anti-Boycott Act, it, I, I, what is what is its status right now? Who is leading the charge for it? Are there uh, members of Congress in the House or the Senate who are uh, taking a stand against it, or are they? Is there nobody in Congress uh, uh, willing to put his or her name out there and and resist this uh, clampdown on uh, f- on freedom of speech? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked. There is actually great mapping of of anti-BDS legislation across the board, including state and federal legislation at this great website, um, righttoboycott.org, um, which is a uh, which is is maintained by a coalition of groups, including the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights, but also Palestine Legal, um, and and other groups. Um, so, for, in terms of the status of this act, um, first of all, I would make sure that people know about our website, USCPR stands for U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights, dot org. 
Um, and if you sign up for action alerts, you'll actually get updates. Um, and uh-huh. I, I think we even have one planned in the near future about this act because it is still in the process. So, um, you know, it, it hasn't been, um, you know, it isn't officially up for vote, but it could be before the August recess. Um, and so time is of the essence. Um, I couldn't tell you the exact status. Um, sure. My f- main focus is boycott and divestment, and my colleagues in our policy department um, are, work, are, are monitoring this closely. So you, too, can, can get those updates on our website. Do you happen to know, is there a, a number for the bill? It's like SB or HB something or other? Yeah, good question. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is called uh, Keeping Democracy Alive. We're looking at uh, the U.S. and the world and freedom of speech in the U.S., the boycott, divest, and sanctions movement, and how Americans' freedom is being uh, really threatened by uh, uh, legislation that's moving through Congress to uh, disallow uh, boycott, divest, and sanctions, which is really quite, quite threatening, I think, to our conservative American traditions. Uh, I don't know if you have that bill there, any number yet, but either way, it's called the Israel Anti-Boycott Act, which uh, people can write to their members of Congress and uh, urge him or her to uh, do the right thing. And let's see about doing the right thing. The phrase... Yeah, I have the uh, oh, okay. number here if you Thank want you. to sure. move yeah, on. Yeah. So it's S-720 and H.R. 1697. Um, and uh, it's great for people to write to their officials. If um, if you're not sure who yours is oh, yeah. um, and you want to help spread the word on social media, um, if you go to our website, I don't know if this is too long of a, of a URL, so you can also sign up for updates, but it's, again, uscpr.org and then slash oppose Israel anti-boycott act with each word having a hyphen in between. Um, and there you can actually um, click to, um, to contact your member of Congress, and they'll, tell, they'll, they'll geo-target it according to your zip code to the right member. And um, it absolutely... share some of the memes and action alerts on uh, social media. It works. It does work. I mean, money is huge. And, you know, in terms of free speech, uh, uh, you know, with the uh, various actions that they've been declaring money to be speech. Yes, money is powerful. But your when you call or write or email your member of Congress, absolutely it matters because they need the votes. You know, the money is only there to, you know, get them votes. And, and it really absolutely does matter when they hear from their constituents, uh, especially. Uh, Absolutely. And we at the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights actually sort of have this dual approach, knowing that, um, you know, co- uh, contacting and building power um, to to change the course of U.S. Um, federal uh, and, and state laws um, uh, is is important, um, and to complement that, or really as a as a, another form of grassroots advocacy, grassroots campaigns like boycott and divestment campaigns we talked about build the power um, and change the narrative to to really ensure the success on the on the top level. So um, we you know we really we our action alerts actually if you do sign up uh-huh. have sort of across the board these types of actions to really build that power across the board. Oh, it's certainly, uh, it's, the internet has been an amazing organizing tool. Yeah, sure is. Social (laughs) media, all of it. All right. I have to ask about anti-Semitism. And, you know, I've been called various things, uh, a self-hating Jew, because Mm -hmm. I dare to criticize some of the Israeli uh, practices. What about the charge that the boycott, divest, and sanctions movement is just simple anti-Semitism? 
Yeah, so, uh, well, let's back up a second. Let's look at what, what Israel has done to conflate Zionism and Israel with Judaism. So Israel, again, uh, calls itself the state of all Jewish people, that they somehow represent the, quote, Jewish nation, so all Jews and, and, and exists for all Jews. Uh, you know, the, the flag has a yeah. Star of David on it. You know, every tank and soldier's uniform, or many of them, have, uh, have the Star of David on them. You know, they'll break into a Palestinian's house and kidnap a child, um, saying, well, they may not say it, but they're saying it with their, with their uniforms, we represent the Jewish people. Right. So frankly, it's mm. extraordinary to me that Palestinians, for example, are able to distinguish between Jews and, and, and Zionism and, and Isra- Israeli uh, oppression. Um, and, you know, I found Huge that as a, as a Jewish person working in Palestine and, and supporting Palestinian uh, resistance, uh, that, that Palestinians welcomed me as a Jewish person. If I had been there you know, living in a settlement would be a different story, yeah, right, but, right. but we're talking about different things here. So, you're not a Zionist, um, you're Israel, a Sorry? You're not a Zionist, you're a Jew. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it, the, these categories are, are oftentimes uh, conflated. Yes. Um, you know, Jews, Israeli, Zionists, so, so these are different categories. A Jewish person is someone of the Jewish religion or, or ethnic background. You know, my mom's Jewish, her mom's Jewish, etc., um, the lineage. Um, Israelis are citizens of the state of Israel, so citizenship, just like, you know, U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zionists are those who uh, pursue the political ideology, and Zionism has had different definitions yes. in the past. But, but as it manifests today, as it exists today, um, is, is everything we've been describing in terms of the oppression of Palestinians, um, uh, basically the idea that, that we need a Jewish state in historic Palestine, no matter what it means, um, no matter if it, if it can only exist through the oppression of another people. So these are different categories, Jewish, Israeli, Zionists, um, and sometimes they overlap in the same person, but sure. they're not the same thing. There are Jews who are not Israeli, like myself. There are Israelis, I, you know, I, don't, I have U.S. citizenship. There are Israelis who aren't Jewish, again, those Palestinian citizens of Israel. There are Jews who are anti-Zionist, like mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. There are Zionists who aren't Jewish, <laughs> you know, Christians. Oh, Zionists. yeah, um, so, quite a few. You know, I know it's confusing because Israel intentionally conflates <laughs> these things, so we have to be careful and diligent in our wording, even if Israel isn't. Um, and we have to know that, you know, there's nothing Jewish about military occupation. There's nothing Jewish about discrimination or racial profiling or torture. And there's nothing anti-Jewish about speaking up against these things, about ending our complicity through, through BDS. Um, and, uh, and in fact, it's very offensive to me when yes. people say that ending complicity with military occupation is, is ending support for Judaism. I mean, come on, uh. that's, that's anti anti-Semitic. Yes. Um, so, you know, when we see more and more Jews, uh, including in the U.S., inclu- especially younger generations, yes. um, American true. Jews speaking out and joining groups like Jewish Voice for Peace, which is actually the, the fastest growing uh, Jewish organization in the U.S. Mm-hmm. There's a rabbinical council. They're, they're a huge organization um, making that very clear. Um, so, you know, if you think that you're supporting Jews by supporting Israel, think again and, and really look at what, what, you're, what you're doing. And by the way, Israel's policies do not make Jews safer. We see that, you know, <laughs> oh, from that's the for pudding. sure. Oh, my God, yes. It's, I, 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 I've had uh, uh, Rabbi uh, uh, Michael uh, Lerner on and other rabbis who've said that uh, Israel, in their words, is murdering Judaism. I mean, as far as I was concerned, you know, being a, a Jewish American, I, you know, I've been proud of the uh, uh, work that 
we have done historically, you know, on civil rights and uh, against the war in Vietnam and for justice. And when the world sees uh, and conflates, as you say, uh, Zionist uh, oppression with Judaism, uh, you know, does that help anti-Semitism? Because people conflate the two, and that's I think mm-hmm. it's it's hurting us quite a bit. What can be uh, well? I wanted to ask about the right side of history. You know that that phrase has been tossed around a lot. What do you think it means relative to the Israeli-Palestinian struggle? The right side of history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it takes a while. <laughs> you know, it's not the case that everybody supported. Uh, the civil rights movement. It's not the case that that everybody supported uh, the anti-apartheid movement. Um, you know, this, these, the, 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 uh, the fall of these. I mean, the, the so-called civil rights movement, the the um, the movement against white supremacy can t- consists today. But yes. you know, the mass support for these things only came through the hard-earned work, um, or you know, the hard work of, yes. of those oppressed communities. Um, and so, you know, when we stand with the Palestinians, we absolutely are standing on the right side of history. Israel's regime is unsustainable. Uh, and we know from history that that, um, and we know actually from present the present the way that 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 the narrative change is changing so quickly, um, and the the way that Israel is is so desperate <laughs> to to rep- repress yes. any kind of resistance. It it indicates that uh, obviously it's working. So what can people do? I you know I, I often think that that the most effective thing is citizen action. It still actually does work. And I think Trump has been a terrific organizer uh, for, for our side. <laughs> yeah. uh, so what, what can people do? How can they find out about any local activities? What, and, and maybe you can uh, mention some uh, corporations that might be uh, targeted. You mentioned Hewlett Packard and Caterpillar. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, yeah, and there's so much, you know, happening on the local level. You know, our organization, a coalition of more than 300 organizations, those are at every corner and every, you know, sometimes small towns, big cities uh, across the nation. So in many cases, listeners may be, um, you know, close to uh, to a, a one of our member organizations and able to join up with with that you know we power is not when an individual says i'm going to save the palestinians it's when <laughs> when uh when people get together and 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 start campaigns really so um so i encourage people to link up you know again i, I know i keep repeating it but oh, our sure. website yes. uscpr for the us campaign for palestinian rights is is a great, uh, you know, you can look at our coalitions, find one near you. If there isn't one near you, start an organization, you know, with other people, not as a one-person show. Right. Um, and, you know, sign up for the action alerts. The the actions are too many to list. I mean, we're doing so much that we support member groups and whatever they're doing, so you'll, he- you'll hear about that. You can lift up their efforts. Um, you know, BDS, again, we have the, the HP campaign, um, Boycott HP campaign. We also have uh, a lot of uh, policy campaigns in terms of opposing legislation like like we just talked about or, or supporting proactive legislation or thanking congresspeople when they actually do uh, the right yes. thing. That's important, um, yes. 
so there's so much people can do, you know. I think oftentimes people feel hopeless. Yes. What can I do? It feels far away. There's so much that you can do. Please know that, that it, it's, in fact, it's very inspiring to get involved in the movement. You yes. know, I felt hopeless until I became an organizer, and I thought, holy cow, look at everything that's happening. Look at how much has changed just in the last few years. And, and really to be hopeless is a, is a form of privilege, you know. Palestinians huh. can't be hopeless, can't stop their resistance. Um, you know, they're struggling for their daily, you know, existence. So we need to stand with them. It's a moral imperative. And, and they're not asking for us to be heroes. They're asking for a basic moral ob- obligation to do no harm. USCPR.org, correct? Yes, that's it. And I also have my own website, Anna in the Middle East. Dot com and my book Witness in Palestine is there. My DVD is there. Um, there's more information there too. It's not over yet, not by a long shot. History takes <laughs> time to change. Thank you, Anna Belzer, so much for being with us uh, on uh, keeping democracy alive. Thanks, Bert. Thank you. First thing, the occupation started When Palestine was left broken hearted Hands down, you won't believe the way they laid that wrath on her Six feet under is where they left us So bad, the way that they were killing us Too bad, we're not afraid to die when bombs fall from the sky Can't explain I never thought that we were gonna lose so 